Welcome to an inspirational teaching by Pastor Victor DeMonte, the senior pastor of Adonai Church, Bangalore. We hope you enjoy this teaching. When God created man, God created man as a very complex being. Man is not just a body, but man is a spirit. He has a soul and he lives in a body. So when we look at the soul, the soul consists of our mind, our will, and our emotions. Our imagination is in the realm of our soul. Human beings are the only ones that God created with an imagination. Aren't we privileged? No other creature on this, in this world ever has an imagination except you and me. Or all of us. So imagination is the ability to see things in picture forms or images that's in our mind. Fantasy is the power of our imagination. And so all of us have an imagination. But unfortunately, we live in a broken world. And because of bad negative things that's happened to our lives, we have built an imagination that's negative rather than positive. And people still struggle with that imagination. Our imagination is our greatest asset. And all of us must learn to use it properly. You see, God has blessed us with this tremendous asset of imagination. But our imagination can be positive or it can be negative. The people of Israel heard the promise of God but did not enter into their destiny because of their wrong imagination. Their imagination was rooted in fear and doubt. They saw themselves like grasshoppers compared to the enemy. Their wrong perception or imagination held them back from experiencing what God had in store for them. And very often, it's our wrong imagination that stops us from fulfilling God's destiny in our lives. Faith creates images in our mind which are positive. Fear also creates images in our minds which are negative. But both have to do with image and our imagination. And that's why a person who is so fearful has all these images that's there in their mind that stops them from doing what other people normally would do. Why? Because of that image. Because of that picture. And all fear is rooted in a negative imagination. Do you know people who are rooted, or people who have a, an imagination rooted in fear, before they can attempt anything, they are fearful of failing. How many of you identify with me? Yeah? Before you attempt anything, even if you go into the dark, you have mental pictures, there's a ghost or somebody to catch you there. And somebody is walking in and out, but you are frozen. You can't walk in the dark because you have a mental picture in your mind, which is your imagination that brings the emotions of fear that stops you from experiencing freedom. And so our imagination is a very integral part of who we are and how God has made us. Albert Einstein said, 
Imagination is more important than knowledge. It's one thing to have knowledge. Knowledge will give you information, but your imagination will bring a reality to that knowledge. And so often we read the Word of God as information, but your imagination will ignite and bring experience to the Word which you read, because that's the purpose of the Word. The purpose is to, of the Word is to fuel our imagination, which will be able to comprehend the things that God is saying to us. Thomas Edison said, To invent, you need a good imagination and a pile of junk. And so they look at junk, not as junk, but they look at junk as an opportunity to invent something. And that's the way God has blessed mankind. You can use your imagination for good things or for bad things. Today the media has bombarded our minds with negative information and negative imagination. And the more we hear stories of rape and abuse the more it will increase because it's having a profound impact on the imagination of people. Today we have pornography. Pornography is again in the imaginary world that influences our imagination in a profound way. And so constantly we are up against a challenge of protecting our imagination. Whatever we see today in this world the chairs you sit on, the building that you see, anything you see today once existed in the imagination of somebody. Isn't that amazing? And because of their imagination, it brought into existence what they imagined and it became an invention. This building was in the imagination of the architect before it came into a reality. Anything that's designed, anything that's created, starts in your imagination. Are you with me? Unfortunately, our imagination has been used for all the wrong reasons. And this is what the Bible has to say in Genesis chapter 11. You want to open your Bible, you can open and look at these verses. I want to draw your attention to one particular verse that probably you've never seen there. You skipped it. In Genesis chapter 11, a familiar story at the Tower of Babel. The Bible says, And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city, a tower whose top is in the heavens. Now that's what they were discussing and planning. Build themselves a city, a tower that will reach the heavens. And it says the purpose of that was to make a name for themselves. Has anything changed today? No. Today man is still driven with the idea of making a name for himself. And he wants to achieve something so that he can feel prominent and significant. And it says there, lest we be scattered abroad on the face of the earth before we lose our identity before we are a lost race, let's do something to be remembered. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. Where did they build that? In their imagination. They built a city in their imagination. They built a tower that reached heaven in their imagination. It wasn't a reality. Why do I say that? Verse 6, And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. They've not yet done it. It's there in their imagination. 
before they can bring it to pass or bring it into reality, God says, let's step in because nothing what they purpose to do will be held for them. God knew the power of our imagination. God knew that our imagination would be the means to invent and to create things because we are created in His own image and likeness. We are created like God who is the creator and that's why we are constantly creating new things because we have His genes in us. And it starts with our imagination. What are you building in your imagination? Everybody is building something in their imagination. Nobody knows it, but you're secretly building something. Either you're building on hopelessness, or your foundation is fear, but you have an imagination. Or you're building an imagination to promote yourself, or to glorify God. But there is an imagination. You can build a city for God, or you can build a city for yourself. All there in our imagination. What did God do? He came down. He saw the city. Where was the city? Where was the city? In their imagination. You see, your imagination counts for God. It doesn't go unnoticed. God is aware of what's happening in your imagination. He came down and brought confusion, divided them with different languages, and scattered them across the face of the earth. That he couldn't build a city. They couldn't build that town. The Bible says in Luke chapter 1 verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. Talking about God. God has shown his strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. And so God sees what's happening in our imagination and He scatters the proud in the imagination of the heart. He brings confusion. He brings frustration. And there are a lot of people who are frustrated because they can't see what they're imagined come into existence because God has confused you. How do you describe a proud man? A proud man thinks of building a city for himself. His imagination revolves around him but a humble man has an imagination that revolves around God. And that's the difference between humility and pride. Humility is God-centered. Pride is man-centered. And God says when He sees those who are proud have an imagination to exalt themselves, He comes and He, he distorts it, scatters it. It's amazing to see when it comes to matrimony. How many of you have seen matrimony sites? What are some of those sites or papers? You see in the newspaper, boy wants a girl uh, six feet, six inches. Uh, she must be fair. She must be working. She must, uh, you know, have a career and big list. And then you want to see who the guy is. And you look at the guy and say, what? You're out of your mind. You know what? He has an imagination that doesn't have any reality. And where he is in life and what he's demanding are two great contrasts. And people wait and wait because they have an imagination which doesn't border on reality. And you can miss your destiny. What about girls? Girls are a little worse. 
Little, just a little bit. Because they grow up with, with romance books. And you have them all stacked up. And they build this imagination. One day, they will have this man, tall, dark, handsome, come and sweep them off their feet. And they say, oh, I love you. I'll give you the world. Don't believe it, even if they say it. But that's their imagination. And so they wait and wait and wait till they get somebody that fits their imagination. And nobody really fits into that. Ask anyone who's married. Let's do a little exercises. Those of you who are married, answer me honestly for the benefit of those who are not. How many of you got a partner who you imagine? Put your hand up. Both my hands are down. You know what? We have an unrealistic imagination. We think that this is the perfect girl or this is the perfect husband. But in reality, it doesn't fit. And we must be careful of our imagination. What is it building on? Is it building on truth? Is it building on godliness? Or is it building on carnality, the externals? The person must be tall, he must be fair, or she must be fair, she must be slim, she must blah, blah, blah. You see, after the fall, our imagination became corrupt and evil. Till that time, our imagination was pure. But the fall did something that not only affected our mind and our body and our spirit, but also affected our imagination. Let's look at Genesis chapter 8 verse 21. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, this is the time after the flood, Noah built an altar and just brought sacrifices and worshipped God. And God says he was pleased with the sacrifice that Noah brought. And it was like a soothing aroma. But the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. And that's why God destroyed the earth, because he saw in their imagination was wicked. I don't have the scripture for it, but it's there in Genesis. You read Genesis and it says that their imagination was so vile, was so wicked, that it pained the heart of God. I'm not talking about what they did, I'm talking about what they imagined. And God is saying, even though this time their imagination is wicked, I will not destroy the earth and the creatures that I've created. You know, we grew up in church, and all that mattered is what you did. No one bothered to talk to you about what you thought. And so we have our fantasy world. And as long as you're thinking and dreaming and all sorts of things, oh, I'm still a saint, I never did anything. You may hide your imagination from your partner, but you can never hide your imagination from God because He's seen. You can either build an altar in your imagination that glorifies God, or you can build an altar in your imagination that's devising evil. What is the condition of your imagination? What altar are you building in that unseen realm? The devil not only hijacked our mind, he hijacked our imagination and he's bombarding our imagination. 
He's killing our imagination. He's fueling our imagination with everything which is negative, everything that has to do with the kingdom of darkness, to stop us being effective for God and creating an imagination that will fulfill the purposes of God. That's the enemy's agenda. He's out to get your imagination. And here are some examples that I got for you, and uh, probably most of you will relate with this. Now this is what we see as entertainment on our TVs. And we see this TV serial. How many of you watch this? The Secret Circle. It's a popular television serial uh, in America about a supernatural teen. She's a teenager. And she discovers that she's a hereditary witch. And she joins a coven of five people exploring the unseen world of darkness. Let's look at another one. The Vampire Diaries. How many of you have seen this one? You know what they're eating? Just go back to the picture. If you thought that was an apple, you're mistaken. That's a heart of somebody. That's flesh. Do you know that there are rock stars who will eat live rabbits and drink their blood? Where do they get it from? Vampire diaries. The influence, their imagination is perverted and twisted. It is again dealing with the supernatural. And polluting and corrupting the minds of people. True blood. What is true blood about? It's about the coexistence of vampires and humans together. That's what true blood is. And these are, are watched by young people. They're watched by older people. For entertainment. If you are so interested in the supernatural realm of darkness, please join the ministry team. We'll give you a real experience. Of what it is to confront the enemy, and I want to see how you'll handle that one. Let's look at another one. Twilight New Moon. The Twilight New Moon. And this is again dealing with vampires. Uh, you know, that catches victims. And uh, bites on the neck and draws it out. Now, there are no real vampires. But there are bloodthirsty demons that inhabit bodies that exploit and drink blood from human beings. The next one. Supernatural. Sounds good. But it's about a horror television serial. About two brothers who hunt demons, ghosts, monsters, and other supernatural beings in the world. Now listen to the statistics. The pilot episode, that means the pilot run of uh, this serial, was viewed by an estimated of 5.6 million viewers. 5.6 million viewers viewed that television series. You see, we are spiritual beings. And we have a curiosity for the supernatural. And if we don't experience God and the Holy Spirit and the supernatural presence of God, then we are inclined to experience the spiritual realm of darkness. And that's why we need to be connected with God. The Game of Thrones, the next one, the Game of Thrones, a popular game that people keep playing, has attracted a record number of viewers on HBO and attained an extensive international fan base. The program received criticism for its frequent use of nudity, violence, sexual violence, 
And it has won 26 Primetime Emmy Awards, including the Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Drama Series in 2015, last year. Outstanding Drama Series. We have another one. Pokemon. Children get so engrossed in this cartoon, Pokemon. The abbreviation is Pocket Monsters. And that's what it's dealing with. Pocket Monsters. Teaching people to fight and be aggressive. Ghost Hunters. What are they about? They are about people who investigate places which are haunted. They work regular jobs in the daytime, at night, they go discover for haunted locations. Harry Potter. Harry Potter, popular TV series, books are out, publicized widely, all introducing people to the unseen world of witches and the occult. And there are people who have dabbled in the occult because of what they read in Harry Potter. Everything you read is a means to influence your imagination. Everything you see is a means to influence your imagination. And so when children and other people are so influenced by what they see and read about Harry Potter, it puts them in a place to experience or, ex- or experiment with the supernatural realm of darkness. Here's another latest movie that's running Batman versus uh, Superman. Now, there's no real Batman and there's no real Superman. They are, they are fictional. They are a reality in, this, in the realm of the imagination only. Batman and Superman. Are you affected by these cartoons and uh, imaginary things? Yes, we are. And we see children demanding from their parents to buy a Batman uh, suit. And they will wear it as a birthday gift. And they say, oh, I'm Batman and Superman. And there are children which is reported have jumped off buildings because they thought they could actually fly like Batman. They actually think they're like Superman. Now let's talk about an adult in the U.S. He's in the U.S. He's a teacher, educated guy, resigns his job. He's a teacher, educated. Look at how he's dressed. Superman. And he thinks he's a superman. He carries that music with him, walks into school with that loud blaring music, and he says, I'm Superman, called to change the world. He needs to start changing himself first. And I saw this in the news all last week, and I'm thinking, how strange I'm studying this, and I'm, I'm seeing this in the news. Superman dressed like this. Man! Let me give you a real-time story of how one person who's a, a leader in a church came for our schools. And the ministry team person, as a protocol, as something that we normally do, is ask people what salvation experience is like. Because there are many people in the church who think they are saved, but not saved. Have no genuine understanding of what salvation and what it means to be born again. And so as this ministry team person is asking him about his salvation experience, he says, I'm coming from a non-Christian background and I grew up with this whole sense of Superman. I love Superman. He would read Superman books. He would watch movies of Superman. He was so, you know, caught up with this figure called Superman that when he heard the gospel about Jesus and the miracles, he says, oh, 
oh, I like Jesus because Jesus is like Superman. And now, all those years of his Christian life, he's a leader in the church, and he thinks Jesus is Superman. I got news for you. Superman has no classifications with Jesus. Jesus is not a Superman. He is the King of Kings. He is the King of Glory. He is above every other Superman in this world. Can somebody shout an Amen? Let's not equate Jesus to Superman. But you know what? People are printing t-shirts... And they put the symbol of Superman and put J in between. Who's J? Not their girlfriend, but Jesus. And they think, you know, Jesus is my Superman. Wake up. He's not your Superman. He is either your Savior or He is your Deliverer. He is Lord of Lords and He is King of Kings. That's what Jesus is. Let's not put Him in that diagram and say, this is who Jesus is. Is this making sense to you? You know, God had to set him free from his spirit. When you believe something which is not in line with God, the enemy steps in because there are only two kingdoms, the kingdom of God, kingdom of darkness. And when you look at Jesus as a superman and falls in deception and the enemy keeps you bound and he literally had to go through deliverance, God set him free. I don't know what spirit they cast him, but they cast him some spirit. You see how the enemy is getting us into a place of deception? We slip into it. Why? Because we want to identify with the world. Isn't it amazing to see that all of these above uh, TV serials revolve around the supernatural realm? All of them have to deal with dabbling with the supernatural. And we expose our kids to that. And our kids grow up rebellious. I got a call from a girl I didn't know. You know, people understand we deal with these things, so I get these strange calls, and this girl on the other side saying, Uncle, can you pray for me? I said, what's the problem? I can't sleep at night. I said, do you have nightmares? She says, yes. I said, you watch horror movies? Obvious. There's silence for a bit. Yes, Uncle. I said, then why do you want me to pray for you? You watch horror movies to be frightened. If I pray for you, you're wasting your money then. Hello? What's the use of spending money watching a horror movie and not feeling horrified? It's a waste of money. You see, people want to be set free from the consequences rather from what they watch. And horror movies should tell us horror movies is about horror. That's no revelation. That's absolute obvious horror movies. And so when you watch horror movies in daytime, nighttime, the enemy says, it's my turn to turn on the channel, and he brings horrible things in your dream. And you wake up with nightmares, you sweat, you're so intimidated because of what you saw. It's now playing in your imagination. I want us to see the graph of how these things have profoundly affected mankind, and is still affecting people. Now this graph, this survey was not taken in the U.S. This was taken in Gujarat. And this is the question that they asked the children and people. How much time do you spend watching cartoons? One to two hours a day is about 30, 30%, almost 30%. Two to three hours is little less, about 20%. Three to four hours is more, 30, 40%. And then four hours 
is beyond 30 percent. And three to four hours, people are sitting before the televisions. Children are sitting before the televisions watching cartoons that's affecting their imagination. And children start demanding, I want to see this TV serial. They become rebellious. And so the parents give in, okay, watch the television series to keep them quiet. But do you know what is happening? Their imagination is getting defiled. Their imagination is being impacted by what they see. Let's look at the next statistics. Do you think cartoon characters has a psychological effect on children? Those who said yes were almost 80%. 70% of the people said yes, the children have been affected psychologically. And a very few less percentages know or sometime. Next one. Do you think children's behavior change after watching cartoons? And look at the figure. Goes up to about 60% of parents say the children's behavior has changed after watching cartoons. They want to talk like their cartoon character. They want to act and behave like them because they're looking for a hero. They're looking for someone who could be there, you know, to comfort them. You know why people like to live in the imaginary world? Because they can't face reality in this life. And so you get comfort by living in your castle in the imaginary world. And it affects your character. It affects your personality. By watching them. You know, in our days we had Phantom. How many of you know, uh, seen that uh, comics, Phantom? And I would read those comics. And I would picture, I wore a ring, Phantom ring. And I thought, wow, I'm Phantom. You know, there was this movie, Western movie, Bud Spencer and Terence Hill. You watch that? Uh, lovely movies, Western movies. Lovely, I'm saying. Okay. Funny. It's very funny. But you see, when you watch it, it plays in your imagination. And one of the things that Bud Spencer does, he's a tall, fat, heavy guy. He will go into a bar, go into these people who are messing around, and he'd pick them up by them, bang on their head, and they'll crumble to the ground. And I thought, wow, what a good thing. And I would get fascinated every time he'd bang someone and knock them out cold. So I was in the fourth standard. And someone messed with me. Now I did not know how this came about. I improvised on it. I put a book on this person's head and I banged him. I didn't know. I was experimenting. He did it. I'm doing it. Only thing what happened was this guy fainted, he swooned. Immediately he swooned. They had to quickly rush him for medical care and all of that. And I'm standing in front of the office, principal's office. And next, my mother, she gave me a nice Bud Spencer. <laughs> How much it influences our life. Now, I didn't premeditate. I didn't think, okay, well, that guy, I will wait. I want to expect. I didn't think it. I didn't premeditate. I was on the fourth standard. It's just a, an automatic response of what you see empowers you. It fuels your imagination that you begin to do it in a time of crisis. Thank God that guy didn't die. Probably I minimized the impact by putting a book there. I don't know why, till today I'm surprised why I put a book. Maybe little compassion, I didn't want to kill him or something. I put a book so that, you know, he won't feel the full. I, I don't know. See, I didn't know that this part is the most tender part of your head. Now, please don't try it. What are the consequences of watching these cartoons? 
What is the consequences of getting our imagination so defiled and so influenced? Children wake up with nightmares and dreams. And many of them have dreams that they are flying. Now that's not prophetic. That's not saying you're going to travel to many nations. It's just been showing you watch too many cartoons of Superman. And now they are frightened because they are in that place and they are floating around. And they wake up sweating. They have nightmares of falling from buildings. Now don't cast out the demon. Cast out the television program and they won't have those nightmares. Floats in their mind. People wet in their bed. And I'm not talking about just youngsters. Grown-ups wet in their bed. And I, I'm sure you don't want me to explain more. Why? Because the, the night, their dreams and the nightmares are so fearful that they, they wet in their beds. It's an influence of what they watch. It's affected their imagination. People see in their dreams others chasing them. Acts of violence. Where's it coming from? Subconscious mind that's been bombarded with all of this. Do you know that the statistics in the U.S. said by the time the child is eight, they've seen one lakh violences on the television. One lakh violences. No wonder they're shooting. And now you see in the papers that even toddlers uh, look at the gun and one toddler shot his mother while driving the car. Have you read that? You don't read that. Okay, but anyway. Uh, you know, why? Because they're influenced. Influenced. They live in an unreal world. And children who, who can't face the reality of being rejected, can't face the reality of pressure, very often escape into an unreal world to find comfort. So that is their way of escaping the pain and the horrible things that's happening in their lives. I was teaching in a Bible school in Goa and uh, I was teaching on this, I don't know what I was teaching, it happened many years ago. But somehow I discerned that this guy was bound with the spirit of lust. And so I spoke to him, I said, you've been tormented with lust. He said, yes. I said, let me pray for you. I didn't know what I know now. And so I came against the spirit of lust and cast out the spirits. There was manifestations. You brought up. It was messy. And uh, I said, look, we need to talk to this guy. How did he mess himself up so badly? And I got talking to him and I learned something. And this guy had no sexual relationship with any woman. He had no sexual experience with any guy also. In those days, the guy was a strange thing. Now it's uh, common. So we have to be careful uh, to include that one also. And I asked him, how did you open the door to a spirit of lust? And he told me the story. He still remember it. He said, my father was a very strict man. Never let him play. Never allow him to go out and mix with other friends. And all he had to do was sit in the home and study. And he says, I developed such an anger in my heart because of what my parents uh, uh, did that I would take my book, but I will fantasize having sex with other women. That's what he did. He would spend hours fantasizing. He says, I couldn't get on a bus without fantasizing with all the women that were in the bus. And he grew to such a place of bondage, it opened the door for a spirit of lust to captivate him. And for me, it was a learning experience. Why a learning experience? That even if you don't do it, your imagination can open the door for a spirit to grip you. 
And that's something that we need to learn and understand. And God set him free. What about imaginary friends? Imaginary friends is widely promoted through cartoons. Where children look at it and they find that there is a friend who understands them, a friend that knows them, who will be with them. And so you will find children, and this is what parents keep coming back to me, you will find children talking to somebody in their room. Nobody is there, but they're talking. Now they're not talking to themselves, they're talking to the imaginary friend that they've crafted in their minds. Where did they get it from? The cartoons that they've seen on television. You know, what about Barbie doll? There is so much of hype on Barbie doll. There is a song on Barbie doll. People hear the music on Barbie doll. Children are influenced. Do you know the impact it has on women, on ladies? They want to have a Barbie figure. And they don't eat. They get anorexic. They get all sorts of eating disorders because they want to be like Barbie. It only exists in their head. And that's why even when they're grown up, no matter how thin is, have you ever seen a person who is thin say, I need to lose weight, and you're looking where? You ever seen people like that? And they stand before you and say, I'm so fat, and you have a complex. Because you're fat, you want to hold your breath for a moment. What do they think about you? They think must be an elephant or something. <laughs> if they look at themselves fat or so thin, what chance do you stand in front of them? But you know what? It's not what they see in their body, it's what they see in their imagination. I have no time to do the whole thing. There's a part two to this. How do you change your negative imagination to positive? One of the Sundays I'll do, but let me finish with this. I'm talking about imaginary friend. You know, there was a guy, he shared his testimony. He's in our church now, coming from a non-Christian background. He was the only child to his parents. He grew up in a lonely uh, environment, no one to talk to. The friends that he had only made fun of him and ridiculed him. And so he thought, I don't need friends, I'm safe in my own corner. That making sense to you? How many of us do the same thing? We isolate ourselves from real life relationships. And so he built himself an imaginary friend. And he, he would read books and this book created a person called Steward, and he called him Nick Word, Stu, his nickname, this imaginary friend. And he says this imaginary friend understood him, and he would love the books that he read, and, and he, he would have communication with this imaginary friend. And this imaginary friend became more real to him, that stopped him, because there were voices that would speak to him, that stopped him from having real life uh, relationships. And every time he got into a real life relationship, this voice will say, no, don't do this. No, this guy, and bombard his mind. And so it never allowed him to get intimate, or not really intimate, got, get close to anyone. Stu, imaginary friend. He came for a nine-day school. And he says, I lived with this imaginary friend that restricted me. This morning it was news to me. I'm first time hearing his testimony by himself. He, he came this morning and he shared and he says, even on Sunday morning, there will be these voices. And he says, it took me time to discern that this is an imaginary friend or was this God? It brought confusion. You know, God gave us the Holy Spirit not to be an imaginary friend, to be a real friend. 
We forget about having fellowship with the Holy Spirit. We want to create an imaginary person and talk to them. Try talking to the Holy Spirit. You will benefit much more. There was another girl that came for us. We get plenty of this happening because it's the in thing. And this girl had friends and all her friends had a boyfriend. And she was the only one who was left out. No boyfriend. So what did she do? She would pick up her phone where the other girl's phone rang and pretend to talk to somebody who's a boyfriend. Hi, how are you talking? Nobody's there but. But she's pretending as if she's got a boyfriend and she's talking to him. Just to feel accepted within the group rather than being left out and saying, Oh, you, something's wrong with you because you have no boyfriend. And she began to do this till one day she heard a voice respond to what she was saying. And that fascinated her, how this voice is replying to the things that she's talking and, you know, fooling around. It came to such a stage that she didn't need a phone. She had this voice that will constantly talk to her and she will talk to this person who's an imaginary friend which kept her in bondage. You know what? These people are born again in the, in the church. Talking to imaginary friends. And God had to deliver her. And God set her free. I can give you more and more stories. Because of our, our loneliness. Because we are isolated. God never intended us to be isolated. He created us to have meaningful relationships. But today we are living in a virtual world. And everything is done in the privacy of your home. Where you are creating an imagination. And you begin to live in that imagination which is unrealistic. And that unrealistic world is dominated by the kingdom of darkness. Because everything about God is reality and truth. How do we deal with this imagination? Let's look at a few scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4. It says that the weapons of our warfare are not fleshy, not carnal. It's not with our own physical strength. But we have weapons which are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What are strongholds? Strongholds are mental habits, thoughts and patterns of thinking that's dominating our mind. And every time you want to do something, you have this stronghold that restricts you and produces fear in you. And you can't do it because it's a stronghold. And then it goes on to say in verse 5, pulling down, what's the word? Can you say, what's the word? Pulling down? Do you know that the word imagination comes from a root word called image? Image and imagination are the same thing. That's why imagination has the ability to create pictures and images in our mind. And we have created images in our mind, which is out of fear. We've created images in our mind because of the things we've read like Superman or whatever man. We've idolized and they are images... That dominate our imagination. And the Bible says, they are spiritual, therefore we have spiritual weapons to deal with the spiritual strongholds and imaginations that's captivated our thinking. That's captivated our own imagination. Ungodly imagination. What do we need to do? Pull it down. And it goes on to one more thing. And every height thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So he's talking about strongholds, mental habit patterns in our mind. He's talking about imagination, 
mental pictures and images in our mind. And he's talking about high thing that exalts us. To me, I understand that this word high thing is talking about fantasy. Because all our fantasies are high things. They are beyond human reach. And the Bible is saying, deal with those fantasies. Deal with those wrong images that's dominating your mind. Pull it down. And bring your mind, bring your imagination, bring those fantasies under the authority of God's word. We need to have our imagination sanctified. Because God is concerned about what we imagine. When we bring our imagination in line with God's word, you will be amazed how much of that turns into reality. And the reason why we don't see the outworking in our mind, because we have not used the word of God to create an imagination. We have used other literature, we've used uh, TV serials or cartoon figures to create our imagination, which is contrary to God's word. You know, uh, how many of you have this bus sickness? I give this example in the school. And you're so bus sick that somebody tells you, you need to smell a lime in order to overcome bus sickness. So when do you buy the lime? You buy the lime one day before. When do you think about, oh, you know, tomorrow I won't eat. So you're planning your day according to your imagination. What's your imagination? Your imagination says when you step into the bus, oh, you'll vomit. You'll feel busting, you feel giddy. And so what do you do? Even before you get to the bus station, on the way, you take that lime and you start smelling it. You're not even reach the bus station. You smell. Next time you smell bananas. <laughs> It'll still work for you if you smell bananas. You see, there is no medical proof to show you that smelling that lime will change your emotion. But you know what someone did? Played with your imagination. And created in you an imagination. If you smell that lime, you won't fall sick. You believed it. You entertained that image. And then you don't fall sick. And you say, oh, I'll see my lime. You also bust sick. You take my lime and smell. All sin, all temptation starts with your imagination. True? Before you can even fall into a temptation... Physically, you've fallen in the temptation in your imagination. What you accept in your imagination, you will accept in real life. What you reject in your imagination, you'll reject in real life. It's all happening there. The way to deal with this corrupt evil imagination is one key thing, meditation. What is it? Meditation. Meditate on God's word. Now, when the Bible talks about meditation and bringing your imagination, bringing your fantasy under the authority of God's word, it's different from what the world talks about meditation. The world, when it talks about meditation, is talking about keeping your mind empty. And they have this sound going, om sound or some sound going, and you must shut out all the anxiety and all the things that's happening around you. Keep your mind blank by focusing on that sound so that you can gain peace. Now that's the world. But when we talk about meditation, we are not meditating to gain peace. We have the peace of God in our heart. We are not meditating to keep our mind empty. We are meditating to keep our mind occupied. Can you see the difference? We meditate not to gain peace. We meditate to gain success. 
We meditate to so that we could live in the abundance of what God has for us. And that's why meditation is such an important thing. Look at what the Bible says here. Meditation is what changes our imagination. Psalm 1, 1 to 3. Blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. Look at verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he... He... Come on, say that loudly. He? Everyone, say it again. He? How long does he meditate? He meditates till the word creates a picture in his imagination. And look at the Bible. The Bible is full of these pictures. See the picture that it gives. To imprint on our imagination what God wants to do for your life and my life. And the Bible goes on to say, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. What is the secret of your prosperity? Is, is, is meditation. We waste our time saying, Lord, prosper me, prosper me, prosper me. Don't waste your time praying. Meditate. When you meditate on God's word, you will make your way prosperous. You will be like a tree planted by the riverside. You will bear fruit in all seasons. And whatever you do will prosper because you meditate. We need to make our meditation our imagination. Can you say that after me? I need to make my meditation my imagination. Is it possible? If you can read books and it can create an imagination, you can read the word of God that can create an imagination. You see yourself like a tree planted by the riverside. You see yourself prosperous and successful. You meditate. So they say this after me. I need to make my meditation my imagination. Before it becomes a manifestation. Isn't that true? And that's why God always gives people pictures. Look at Old Testament. I will come to it that Sunday. I don't know which Sunday, but soon I'll do it. I'll, uh, how we, he, God wants to restore and redeem our imagination. And he, he gave Abraham a picture. In a moment of hopelessness, he says, see the stars. This is what I'm going to do. What God was doing. Recreating an imagination that's filled with God's view. And he had to live in the meditation which became his, his imagination, which ultimately resulted in a manifestation. Look at Joshua 1.8, Amplified Version. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall... You shall... How long? How long? He had two times devotion. Day and night. And that you may observe to do according to all that's written. You walk in the obedience of what you meditate. For then, can you complete? Who shall make? Who? Thank you very much. But you also. You shall make your way prosperous and then you shall deal wisely and have good success. The secret of your success and prosperity is in your, is your, which becomes your imagination. 
comes your imagination. You know, God gave a secret to Joshua to become a successful leader. And if you want to be a successful leader, you need to have a sanctified imagination. You need to have an imagination that's captivated by the will of God, the power of God, the word of God. And God is saying, Joshua, I had Moses. I'm giving you the secret. I'm passing on the secret to you, Joshua. Meditate. And when you meditate, you will make your way successful. And you will be prosperous. Meditation is about using our imagination to see things the way God sees it. Meditation is about using our imagination to see the things the way God sees it. In your hopelessness, when you meditate on the Word of God, you begin to have an imagination the way God wants you to see things. Many years ago, uh, as a pastor, you go through frustrations. You pray for people to be blessed and prosper, nothing's happening in your life. You pray for people to be comforted, but you wonder sometimes, who's praying for you to be comforted? What do you, where do you go? What happens to you? And I was going through that phase in my life. <laughs> I'm glad I'm sharing. People think I don't have problems. You know, I'm superhero or whatever. But by the way, I also have emotions and feelings. But this is sometime when I was going through that phase. And in my daily reading, I came across this word, Proverbs 22.4. And it's like finding a, a, a pearl. I read it. And I had a conversation with God. And this verse said, With humility and the fear of the Lord comes riches, honor and life and I thought to myself Lord I did a search the only two rewarding characteristics that we need to have is humility and the fear of God it doesn't talk to those who are patient about those who are long-suffering or those who are kind it talks about those who are humble and those who fear the Lord you will have riches and I thought to myself I can really do with some riches at this time I could really do with some honor and definitely with life. Life is about wholeness. It's about peace. It's about fulfillment. It's about a sense of destiny and purpose. That's life. And I did something. I was so captivated that this is going to be my journey. I banged the dining table and said, from today onwards, I'm going to be humble. It took one year for God to show me how arrogant that was. And I realized, I can never be humble in my own self. And I came back to God and said, God, teach me to be humble. Teach me to walk humbly before you. Humility hasn't to do with the external. It has to do with your thoughts. It has to do with your dependence with God. It has to do with inquiring from God. It's an inner thing of your motives and attitudes. And it was a journey of walking in humility and walking in the fear of God. I looked at the number of scriptures that are so rewarding to those who walk in the fear of God. So what did I do? I kept this. This is the only scripture you will find in my house. Proverbs 22.4. Now I'm thinking of magnifying it because it's so real. And I will walk up and down with this in my mind. Lord, I thank you, Lord. Riches, honor, and life. I would use it. And that word became my imagination. And then it turned into a manifestation I live a life that's whole. I live a life that's complete. 
I live a life and I, what I do, I do out of a sense of purpose and destiny. And thank God that God has blessed us. Blessed us in ways that that's beyond our, our thinking. And naturally couldn't, couldn't comprehend. God blessed us. Why? Because His Word will one day manifest and you will be like a tree planted by the rivers and you will make your ways prosperous and you will succeed. Meditation is the key. It's the key. I'm not talking about devotions. I'm not talking about two minute Maggie noodles we do in the morning. They open the Bible to me. Ah, oh, yeah, finish my quota. I'm talking about allowing the word to create an image in your mind. Allowing the word to create a picture in your mind that will be there and get down to your spirit till you believe it and you see the manifestation of it. Can somebody shout an amen? There's a nine-day school coming up. You know what? I already see in my imagination what God's going to do. And I'm believing God. I'm believing God. I'm saying God and trusting let me show you scripture. You like scripture. Come and show you scripture. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Look at what God does. Hey, he's concerned about our imagination. Now to him, now to God, who is able, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask. Ask is talking about prayer and imagine. Imagination is about a meditation. He's able to do immeasurably more than what we ask in prayer or what we imagine. According to the power that's at work within us, your imagination matters to God. You see, when we have the promises of God, we have no imagination at all. And if you get a miracle, ah, I got a miracle. But when you pray with an imagination, you can expect a manifestation. And that's why I try to pass on to it. You know, when you break bread or when you are in communion with God, you see yourself before the throne of God. You see yourself clothed with the robes of righteousness. His word creates an imagination that brings you close to experiencing the presence of God. It produces faith in your heart. The reason why God gave us an imagination so that we can comprehend the vastness of God and all that God has done for you. Comprehend God. You can fantasize about God and still fall short of who He is. That's the vastness of God. That's why God gave us an imagination. To somehow in our little minds comprehend the vastness of who this God is. If we are to live in Christ, our imagination should also be in Christ. In Adam, our imagination was corrupt and wicked. But now in Christ, our imagination must also be in Christ. And because we are in Christ, we create an imagination. Joy is my portion. Peace is my portion. His unconditional love is my portion. Health is my portion. And I begin to thank God. Because I am in Christ. I have the imagination of Christ. If we do not allow the word of God to create an imagination then it becomes like a holy book that's there, that you do your duty and you walk away. It will not change your life. I'm going to close with this one scripture. Psalm 139. No wonder the psalmist had such an intimate relationship with God. He was known as a man who was after God's own heart. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. 
says, you know everything about me. And he breaks it down to, to help us understand how deeply God knows us. And he starts with saying, you know my sitting down and my rising up. In other words, God, you are aware about my physical activities. You know where I go. You know when I sit up. You know what I do. You're aware about it. And he lived in the consciousness of that. Uh, the second part, you understand my thought afar off. He says, God, you understand my thought life. You understand what's going on in my imagination. You understand what's going on from far. You understand my thoughts. Verse 3, you comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. He's saying, God, you know my future. You know the path I'm going to take. You know the direction that I'm going to go. You know it. And he lived in a secure way that everything he did was fully in the awareness of what God knew about him. Fully in the awareness that God is conscious how where he is, what he's thinking, and what his, his future is. goes on verse 4. There is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Even before I speak the word, you know what I'm going to speak. And in verse 5, you've hedged me behind him before. You laid your hand upon me. He says, Lord, no matter where I go, what I think, what I do, you've hedged me, you've uh, surrounded me, you're there. You know, what an imagination to have. Isn't that true? To know that God has hedged you, to know that God is so involved in your life. You see, when you don't let that create an imagination, you say, Lord, you went on a holiday, you blessed him, what about me? Where are you, God? How are you not doing this for me? You know why? You've not looked at the word to understand how God is so deeply involved in your life. He says, you hedged me in and around me. You're aware of me. And he ends with verse, or not ends, there's a full chapter, go home and read it. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I cannot attain it. He says, God, the way you're so involved with every thought, everything, it's too much for me to handle. It goes on in that passage that says, Lord, your thoughts are as numerous as the sand on the seashore towards me. And he's understood something of God who's so deeply involved with everything he does. Everything he does. Thank you for listening to this message. To know more about us, please visit www.adonai-ministries.com.